Well, thank you so much. Appreciate our praise team. Appreciate our our choir, and appreciate all of you taking part in worship this morning. If you brought your Bibles, turn to a familiar passage, Genesis chapter twelve. I want to look at Genesis chapter twelve. We'll look at verse one through three and some other passages in Genesis. As I speak to you this morning about a promise-keeping God, a promise-keeping God. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you, you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, he says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we've had to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for our children and being part of our worship service in here this morning. Thank you for our veterans, Lord, who have served in the past, and we pray for those who are serving today. We pray for those on foreign fields. We pray for all of our men and women in the military, whatever branch they may be serving, wherever they may be. I thank you, Lord, for the freedoms we have to come here to, to worship today and to the other freedoms we're blessed with. I thank you for those who watch over us, Lord, here on land as you watch over us uh, in heaven. We thank you for those who've given their lives for the freedoms that we enjoyed today. And we pray for the families that they leave behind. Thank you, Lord, for all of our servicemen and women. Be with them today. I pray that this will be a good day for them. And I pray that people have lifted up prayers for them all this weekend and will continue to do so from time to time. Thank you for our time together this morning. I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been a lot of questions asked about Israel and the Palestinians since October the 7th, since that attack on an Israeli settlement on the border between Israel and Gaza. Over 1,400 people were killed. They were murdered, slaughtered, even butchered. Heard this morning around 239 have been taken captive, kidnapped. It's been labeled as the worst attack on the Jews since the Holocaust. Where six million Jewish men and women and children were murdered by the Nazi German regime and its allies. And so after a few days to bury their dead and gather their information, Israel decided to declare war on the governing Hamas terror organization that planned and orchestrated the attack on Israel 
from Gaza on October the 7th. And now Palestinian protesters in major cities around the world are protesting Israel's reaction. Israel's being blamed for being occupiers of the land, along with some other things. And there's a call for the nation to be wiped off the face of the earth. Some do not even recognize Israel as a nation today. And so the question is this, who rightly owns the land once referred to as Palestine? And from time to time, we're asked questions about what's, you know, the current events, and, and the Bible's, you know, the Bible has a lot of answers if we just read the Bible, study the Bible. I remember Paul saying to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep in Jesus, that you sorrow like those that have no hope. Don't want you to be ignorant. Now, ignorance uh, doesn't mean that you have a low IQ necessarily. It means that you haven't taken time to study and to learn. He didn't want them to be ignorant. You can have a high IQ and you can be ignorant of some things. You can have a low IQ and you can be knowledgeable of some things. And so one thing we don't need to be ignorant about is the last days. And so back in April, I began a study on Sunday night about, about the seven covenants found in the Old Testament. Little did I know what was going to happen on October the 7th. And so I want us to, it's going to be somewhat maybe a, a review for some, but it'll be new information for others. So first of all, what's a biblical covenant? Let's think of this. In a normal form, um, normal function of life, we think of a covenant as an agreement. We think of it perhaps like a, a lease or a contract. However, spiritually, it's, it's, totally, it's totally different. A covenant in the spiritual realm originates and ends with God. Man has nothing to do with the operation of the covenant. God can break the covenant. He can reestablish the covenant if he wants to, but a covenant begins and ends with God. And so if you're taking notes, you have an introduction, you have what is a, coven a covenant, and I want to share with you very quickly those eight covenants that we've reviewed previously on Wednesday night. And you can jot these down, and I've given it a little sentence maybe to explain it. So first you have the, the, uh, the Edenic Covenant. The Edenic Covenant. Concerning the Garden of Eden before the fall. What Adam and Eve were to do in the Garden of Eden. So you have the uh, Edenic Covenant God made with Adam and Eve. Then you have the Adamic Covenant. 
Adamic covenant. Now, if you remember the covenant with Adam and Eve, God says you can have this beautiful garden, but there's one request. You don't eat from the tree that's in the center of the garden. If you do, you're going to die. You'll surely die. And you know the story. They ate, and they were expelled from the garden, and sin came into the world, and death by sin. And so man began to die. He died first spiritually, and then he, he's dying physically even today. And so we have the Adamic covenant, and this set the stage for how uh, humans would experience, be, experience uh, the situation when they fell under sin. In other words, women would have pain during childbirth. Um, man would have to work from the thorns and the thistles for his food supply. They'd have to work before they didn't have to work. God provided everything. It's kind of a pleasure to go out, perhaps, and eat from the garden. And so you have, the, you have the Adamic covenant, you have the Adamic covenant, and then you have the Noahic covenant. The Noahic covenant was a response to the flood. God destroyed the earth because it was so sinful, and God made a covenant with Noah. And the covenant was with a rainbow. He would never destroy the earth again by flood, but it'd be destroyed by what? Fire. Fire. And so you have the Noetic covenant. And then you have the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to come back to that one in just a few minutes. And then you have the Mosaic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant is the, is the law, the Mosaic law. And there's three aspects of the Mosaic law. First, you have the moral law, and we refer to that as the Ten Commandments. That's part of the the, uh, uh, the, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, Mosaic Covenant. You have the second, you have the ecclesiastical, you have the temple worship, you have uh, the orders given in regards to sacrifices and what to sacrifice, when to sacrifice. You have that presented in covenant. And then the third part, third aspect of the law, you have the civil law, how to get along with your neighbor and how to get along with each other. So those are three parts that comprise the Mosaic Law. And then um, the covenant promising, the promising, a covenant that promises about the, the promised land. And that's known as the Palestinian Covenant. Now, it might surprise you, but Palestine is just a geographical location on a map that once was referred to as Judah. It's also referred to as the land of promise, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, but it's referred to as Palestine. Now, in the scripture, it always referred to Palestine coming from the word um, uh, Philistines, Philistines. And so with, with this geographical area of Palestine, we have the promised land, uh, the land of Canaan, if you will. And we have the nation of Israel there in Palestine, once formerly known as Judah, Judea. And then number seven, you have the Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant is about the promises of the coming king uh, from the lineage of David. Jesus Christ is going to fulfill the promises that were made to David. And then you have the new covenant, number eight. Number eight, the new covenant, which is about the kingdom age. Uh, 
The new covenant takes place at the end of time as we know it now, when the millennial kingdom is set up here on earth. Now, when I came to the Abrahamic covenant, I made a statement on Wednesday night when we were studying. The statement I made was, you'll never understand the Old Testament, you'll never understand the New Testament until you understand the Abrahamic covenant. And so I want us to look at that Abrahamic covenant. I believe it will help us to understand a lot that's going on today. So fourth, you have the Abrahamic covenant, if you're taking notes. Now, verses 1 through 3, notice what he says in verse 1. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country. So verse 1, get away from your, get away from your kindred, get away from your family. His father, Terah, was a, uh, he, he served false gods. Terah was really an, an idolater um, after the Tower of Babel up to the time here of Abraham. It was all idolatry. Uh, Abraham's family worshipped uh, idols. And so God has to move him out of that family to where he can speak to him and give him instructions. And so he said, get away from your kindred, get away from your family, get out of the country from your family. And so God had to get him away from that idolatry influence. Sometimes we have to leave home we, uh, because of the influence our home makes on us if we're trying to be a Christian or has on us when we're trying to be a Christian. So that's just what happened with Abraham. He had to move away because there's too much idolatry and God wanted to work with him individually. And so here you have covenant promises found in the next verses. And I'm going to give you the promises, and there's seven promises of this covenant. First of all, uh, he said, I'll make you a great nation. That's a covenant promise. I'll make you a great nation. Look at verse 2. I'll make you a great nation. Number two, he says, I will bless you. I'll bless you. Um, all of these are carried up to present day, even today. He's blessing the descendants of Abraham. Um, he says, and I'll make you great. and You shall be a blessing. Verse three, I'll bless those who bless you. He says, you'll be a blessing. Then he said, I'll bless them that bless you. God's never backed off from that promise. That promise has never been rescinded. He's always blessing Israel. Okay? Uh, the sixth part, he says, I'll curse those who curse you. The point is, I'll bring bad things to those who bring bad things to you. And that's a covenant promise. And so we have to be careful individually and as a nation in how we treat Israel. They're God's chosen people. Number seven, part of the, the seventh part of that covenant, and in thee, Abraham, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a promise. So he's going beyond the borders of Israel. He says, I'm going to bless all the families, going out to the whole human race. I'm going to bless the human race because of you. And the point was they were to take their God, their Messiah, and they were to tell the other nations around them about their God and about their Messiah. And by doing that, other nations of the world would be blessed. And so through this man, Abram, will come this nation that God has just pulled aside out of humanity. Think of humanity as a river just flowing by, and all of a sudden God reached into the river of humanity, and he just pulls this person out by the name of Abram, later to become Abraham. Pulled him out. He's going to deal 
with them on a, a covenant basis. Promises that only are uniquely to them. Covenant promises. And he's going to prepare this nation for the coming Redeemer and the coming Savior of all mankind. And now for this to happen, for the Redeemer to come, for a Savior to come, a lot of things had to happen. He had to have this nation of Israel in the area of Jerusalem. Remember all the prophets where the Savior would be born? Well, he had to have Jesus born in Bethlehem, and he had to have him in that particular area of Jerusalem, in Judah, Judea, okay? And so he had to have Jesus there where he was going to be crucified. That was God's blueprint for Jesus. And therefore, to have, to have them in Jerusalem, you had to bring them into a homeland that uh, would include Jerusalem. And so God brings, God brings Abram and, and his descendants into that homeland. Now, there were seven statements. Uh, that's, that's the Abraham covenant, those seven statements I gave you. And when we say that Christ came to the nation Israel, it all began with this covenant promise from Abraham. Now I want you to look at Genesis chapter 13. Look at verse 14. 13 verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, he said, lift up your eyes. He said, now look from the place where you are. Look northward. Well, when you look northward, well, you're going to be looking at Lebanon, okay? And then he says, I want you to look southward. Well, southward, you're looking toward the Red Sea. And then he says, I want you to look eastward. And eastward, you're looking toward the Jordan Valley or you're looking toward the uh, Jordan, today's Jordan. And then he says, I want you to look westward. And when you look westward, you're looking at the Mediterranean Sea. And he wants him to look in all those, those four different directions. Now look at verse 15. For all the land which you see, I give to you and to your descendants for how long? Forever. Forever. He's given it to him forever. You know, in the Bible, uh, forever is forever. It's like eternity is for, it's eternal. Forever is forever. Look at, verse, um, look at verse 15, which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Okay? Look at verse 16. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So he said, I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. I also think that this is a symbolic picture that Abraham's going to be associated with earthly people. Um, did you know that all the promises to the Jews are earthly promises. They're not heavenly promises. They're not spiritual promises, but they're earthly promises. God never makes a, a heavenly promise to Israel. It's all earthly. They're going to have a kingdom. Where's it going to be? It's going to be on earth. They're going to have a king. Where's he going to be? It's going to be on earth. Now, we're different as Gentiles. In the Old Testament, if they were obedient, they got wealthy. He blessed them. Remember all the Old Testament uh, prophets and uh, how, how wealthy they were? And they were faithful, they were obedient, and God blessed them. Remember Job, all the things that Job had? He was a very righteous person, man of God. God blessed him with all the cows and the camels and 
everything like that nature, but it could be taken away from them. So in the Old Testament, if they were obedient, they got wealthy, they got blessed. If they were disobedient, they lost it, but we don't have that promise. We don't have a promise like that today. If you're wealthy today, it's by the grace of God and not by a promise. But to them, it was by promise. Therefore, when, when we get to Paul's epistles, it's not earthly people that we're associated with. What are we associated with? The heavenly, the heavenly seats by heaven for the Gentiles. So we are citizens of heaven because we're heavenly connected, you might say. Israel's earthly connected. Now look at Genesis chapter 15. Look at uh, verse 5. And then he brought him outside. He said, look now toward heaven. Count the stars. If you're able to number them. He said to him, so shall your descendants be. So he's looked at the dust of the earth. He has a connection with earthly people. Now he's looked at the stars. And now he has, a, he has a connection with the church age, with the Gentiles. See, And you'll see how that comes about. Look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. Okay? Verse 7. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. So when God made the covenant with Abraham, Abram, it was, was it after his circumcision or was it before his circumcision? It's before. Was it after the law was given when he made this covenant or was it before the law was given? It was before. It wasn't nothing that he did to receive these things from God or this, this land from God, this promise from God. It wasn't nothing that he did to receive the righteousness of God. What did he do? He believed God. He trusted God. And when he trusted God, he received righteousness. Notice what it said in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And he, the Lord, God, accounted it to him for righteousness, for salvation. He was saved. And you'll find after this time, his name changes after he's saved from Abram to Abraham. But how was he saved? Same way we're saved, through faith. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so you have the introduction. You have what a covenant is. You have the covenants of the Old Testament. You have primarily the Abrahamic covenant. And so God's promises are made by him. He's the only one that can break the, make the covenant, break the covenant. He can break the covenant. He can reestablish the covenant. Covenant. You can see that pertaining to the law at times. And so, but God is the one who makes and breaks, carries out the covenant. Now, God is a promise-keeping God. If he was promise-keeping God for Israel, is he a promise-keeping God for us? Sure. So when God makes a promise, he's going to make sure that that's carried out. Now, one promise that he's made is that we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's a promise. So God has a purpose for our life. He tells us that. And that purpose is eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So eternal life comes not by what we do or how much we have, but it comes as a gift. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he has a purpose. has a purpose for us to have eternal life. He has a purpose for us to have a full and meaningful life right now. He wants to help you with your problems. He wants to help you with your children, with your schooling, whatever it is. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says the, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly in John 10, verse 10. So he wants us to have an abundant life right now when we die, have an eternal life with him through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then we can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. We know when we leave here, we're going to heaven. It won't be long for some of us, perhaps. And the rapture of the church could be at any minute where he calls his church up. You don't want to miss that trip. And so he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Promise made, promise will be kept. And so he wants us, he has a purpose for our life. We have a need for that purpose. We're sinners by nature. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't save ourselves, Ephesians 2, verse 8. And we deserve death and hell, for the wages of sin is death. But God's made a provision. He's made a provision through his son, Jesus. Just think, Jesus came from heaven to earth for one reason, to die on the cross. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And John 1, verse 1, verse 12 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus came from heaven for one specific purpose, is to die on the cross for our sins. And he died on the cross, according to 1 Peter 3, 18. But he was resurrected from the dead. And we have a response. We have a, a response. We have a decision to make in regards to Jesus. To be saved, we repent of our sins. We turn from the direction that we're going and we turn to Christ. Not only do we repent, but we place our faith in him. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. And then we surrender our life to him. Here's my life. Take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my children as thine own. You know, we give ourselves to him. We give our family. Everything we have, we give to him. We surrender totally to him. And then Romans 10, verse 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in, in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes under righteousness, and with the, death, with, with the mouth confession is made under salvation. And so we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. You know, that he has all of us. We give him all of ourselves. And so I pray that you've done that. If not, you can do that today. Remember, he's a promise-keeping God. He made a promise from, from the Garden of Eden all the way up until to the kingdom comes, he has covenants for the, he has the kingdom covenant. And so, but he'll keep all of those covenants and we'll, we'll see. Uh, whose land does it belong to? It belongs to God's people. It belongs to the, it belongs to the Jew. It belongs to the Israelites. And so, and it'll always will forever and forever. And they'll always be arguing over that land until 
the Prince of Peace comes back to restore perfect peace. And um, we've got the rapture to go up, and then we'll come back with him to do the other. Let's have a prayer. Well, Father, thank you for our time that we've had just to look at the covenants found in the Bible. And we can draw a conclusion from that, Lord, that you are a promise-keeping God. You made promises to the prophets of old. You made promises to Abraham. You're keeping those promises today. You've made promises to us in regards to salvation. So I pray for each person here. And I pray, Lord, if, no, if there's people here today who have never trusted Christ, today they'd humble their heart. They'd see their lost condition. They'll see there's, there's nothing that they can do. The only thing they can do is to turn from their sin and totally rely upon you and your uh, supreme sacrifice there at Calvary and trust in you and what you did for our salvation. Lord, how you died for our sins. Our sins were placed upon you, Lord, and you died for our sins. You took our punishment. You bore, our, you bore the pain that we were to bear. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here. Thank you for what you're going to do in this time this morning, invitation time, those who viewed by other means. Father, I pray that you spoke in their hearts and they'll give us, uh, they'll contact us and let us know the decisions they've made perhaps in a living room, bedroom, wherever it might be. Lord, thank you for this time we've had together. Now, during this invitation, Father, this is your invitation. It's not mine. And so I pray as people come today that, that uh, they would surrender completely to you, Lord. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to lead us. Uh... Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you, and may God bless you.